Welcome to Search for Meaning. I'm Yoshi Zweibach. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Issa Zweibach. Full disclosure, she's my daughter. But hey, the pandemic is upon us and I got to find people to interview. And I started thinking about inspiring people I know. And guess what? There's no one more inspiring to me than my own family. So this is the first in a series of interviews with members of my immediate family. Issa is going to talk about our transition from Northern California to Israel. She's going to talk about some of the things that give her life meaning. And she's going to share a little bit about a recent experience she had when she became a donor of peripheral stem cells. Stay tuned and be inspired. Issa, tell me about yourself. Where'd you grow up? I grew up first in Northern California, you know, Palo Alto area. Then we moved to Israel for three years, and then we moved to Los Angeles. So tell me a little bit about your move to Israel. You're, uh, if I can recall, maybe nine years old, and all of a sudden your parents come to you and say, we're going on an adventure. We're leaving Palo Alto, Los Altos, where you had friends, you were in a day school, and all of a sudden we're going to make this transition to another country, another continent. Can you remember how you felt about that? Yeah, um, I didn't feel so great about it. I remember when you told me, Ariella, and Nomi. I think we cried for a very long time on our bunk beds. But you'd been to Israel before. Well, yeah, it wasn't really about the move. It was more so about, I mean, it wasn't really about the place. It was more so about leaving. And I was really upset about it at first. I remember I had to tell my third grade class in like the morning circle, we all sat down and I was like, I have some big news to share. And I told my class that I was moving to Israel. Um, I wasn't too happy about it at first. But then the more people asked me if I was excited to move, and the closer we got to the move, I started to get excited about it. What was, was were there some things about that that transition that were easier than you thought they'd be as you look back on them and remember them? Were there some things that, that just sort of happened without even much work or challenge? Well, I think figuring out, you know, the Israeli ch- children's lifestyle is actually pretty easy. Like walking around by ourselves, going to the Makolet, having a tab at the Makolet. That, what's, a, what's a Makolet? Uh, it's like a little convenience store. The tab soon got closed. So um, you had your own tab. You could go to the Makolet and after school, what were some of the treats that you and your sisters like to get on the way home from school? Um, Shoko Besakit, which is chocolate milk in a bag. If you go to Israel, you definitely have to get it. Um, we would just get plain bread. They also had candy that we would buy, bomba. Oh, and we used to love the like Israeli ramen from Osem. We would eat that like every day. Why did the tab get closed? Because we took a little bit too much you know, advantage of it. Yes, I do recall that. Um, and then you went from this culture, Northern California, if you wanted to have a friend over, you would make a play date. It was like a whole planned thing. And we drove you everywhere. How was that different living in Jerusalem? So in Jerusalem, school ended at 2.20. I would call my mom, say, hey, Ima, can I go to so-and-so's house? Or can so-and-so come to our house? It was just a quick little phone call to each of our respective parents. And then that was the play date. Are you still in touch with some of your friends from from that period in your life? A few of them, yeah. I talk to them via WhatsApp or see them every time I'm in Israel. What have you heard about how they're dealing with quarantine and the coronavirus outbreak in Israel? 
Um, it seems to be pretty heavily regulated there. My friends are both just laying low, staying at home, taking advantage of the quality family time. Um, but one of my friends got sent home from the army for two weeks or so. And then I think she's supposed to go back. She told me that the army is actually heavily involved in treating and preventing the spread of the virus. So it was interesting to hear about that. What are, when you think back to those years, so you left right after you became bat mitzvah, a few months after you became bat mitzvah, you were 12 years old. What are some of the challenging things that you remember that were really difficult about living in Israel, about becoming an Israeli because um, you, you got a new citizenship along the way? What were some of the challenges you remember? Um, in fourth grade, that was the first year that we were there. I I could speak Hebrew, but I really couldn't read or write, so had a really hard time doing my homework. I recall not doing a lot of my homework and just sort of like going to school and paying attention in class, but then not really being able to do much at home. Um, so that was definitely a challenge. Uh, obviously, after a year or so, that got easier. Also, we had lice a lot of the time, which is a common occurrence in Israeli elementary school. So that was not really fun. I remember one time coming home from work and uh, Jacqueline was sitting on the floor of our apartment. There were towels everywhere. And she was going through each one of your your scalps, you know, hair by hair to remove all of the eggs. And it was pretty bad. That yeah, was a was bad night. not fun. Then we started having a mandatory um, ponytail going to school. Yes. And when friends would come over, we'd, we'd do a quick uh, lice check just oh my to God, make I sure remember. everything was good. So what, what did you learn about yourself in all of that experience? How did how do you think it changed you? I know it's hard to, to, to do that probably because you were nine and then you were 12, but you're old enough to remember those years very well. Can you think of ways that you changed because of that experience? Sure. So one thing I'll say is it gave me a lot of independence. I don't think a lot of fourth graders in the U.S. are like walking around by themselves, walking to their dance classes on their own. So... Um, my sisters and I got to be independent. Um, also, learn, having to adapt to another language, even though I was relatively young, gave me a lot of life skills, I think. Just, you know, listening more attentively and just paying attention, trying to notice things, um, like when I'm walking around and just what I'm hearing. Yeah. Sometimes having the experience of not just traveling outside the United States, but living outside the United States changes the way you think of America. Mm -hmm. Are there are there things that that you see differently about our country or about American culture or values as a result of those three years in Israel? Yeah. So one thing I'll definitely say is I think um, there's a general more like relaxed nature in Israel. Like people are a lot more laid back. Not everything's as rigid like going back to the play date sort of schedule. Like it wasn't like a whole two week in advance planned out thing. It was just like on the fly. Oh, do you want to come over after school situation? And I think that that's definitely something that is true about Israelis in general. Decisions are made a lot more, you know, spontaneously. And I think that an incorporation of that is good because it's good to have a mixture of like spontaneity and, you know, schedule. You've had the chance to really travel quite extensively, and your first semester of college, you got to spend in Italy, and I'm sure you've been thinking a lot about that as you've been reading headlines about the challenges that, that are being experienced right now. 
what was that like being in Europe all by yourself? You're, you were 18 years old and suddenly you're, you're off on your own in a foreign country. Well, parts were very fun. Of course, traveling around Europe was really fun, but it was also really challenging trying to readapt to another culture. Um, I had already done it once before, so I think that did give me an advantage over a lot of the other 18-year-olds that I was surrounded by who didn't really have so much travel experience. And um, But it was very challenging. For example, like when it would rain, like you couldn't find a taxi. There's just like a lot of differences in... Um, you know, the Italian way of life and like the American way of life and the Israeli way of life. Although I will say it was a lot more similar to the Israeli way of life of being a lot more laid back and relaxed and nonchalant about work. A lot of people say that, that, that one of the things that they love about Italian culture and Israeli culture is that, that warmth, that, that communal sense. How was the food? Did you enjoy living in Rome and uh, enjoying the uh, local cuisine? Yeah, the local cuisine was quite good. There was a few spots that I hope to one day be able to go back to. What was that pizza place you liked so oh, much? Oh, Dar Poeta. That place was really good. And there was the Taverna Trilusa that had the best pasta. So we're just starting the holiday of Passover, so we probably shouldn't not talk anymore. about Yeah, not kosher for Passover. So recently uh, you had an amazing experience and some some folks who are listening might have seen it on Facebook or in some of the synagogue newsletters. But tell us a little bit about this extraordinary, was it a phone call you got or a text or an email? And all of a sudden, the next couple of months of your life got turned upside down in some ways. So I got an email, I guess now it was like eight weeks ago, two months ago, from Be The Match, which I had registered with. Um, when I was 18, senior year of high school. What is Be The Match? Be The Match, they're um, an organization that facilitates bone marrow and peripheral stem cell donations for um, patients suffering of various different types of cancers. Um, Globally, it's all around the world, I recently learned. So I got an email from them. It said that I was a potential match and if I could fill out a survey. So I filled it. At first, I tried to call back, but nobody answered. I also got a voicemail. Um, And then, so I just filled out the survey. And then shortly after that, I received another call from them. Um, And I spoke with them for quite some time, actually. I asked them a lot of questions, you know, likelihood of whether or not it would actually happen, whether or not I really would be the match. And then they told me that I wouldn't hear from them probably for another two months or so. And then... Actually, the next week, like not even a week later, I don't think, I got a call from another person who worked for Be The Match telling me that I was the match and if I was interested in continuing with the process. So I said yes. Um, Wanted to hear more about it, of course. Um, Also, you know, the coronavirus situation wasn't as bad then, but I did ask a few questions about the implications of that. And um, so they said... Okay, so now what I had to do next was go get some labs done, get a physical just to make sure that, you know, health-wise. This is is all happening when you're in college still at Tulane in New Orleans and you're trying to manage all this. So, yeah, I was still in New Orleans at the time. It was pretty stressful, I will admit, to balance this with my academics and my social life. But um, I was working with this coordinate from Be The Match and she was orchestrating everything, setting up all the appointments. So she sent me to get some labs done. So I went and I got those labs done on a Friday just to make sure that health-wise I was okay to donate. 
And so that was a Friday. And then the following Wednesday, we got an email from Tulane telling us that we had to pack up and leave by the 22nd of February. So I wanted to leave as fast as possible just because I was hearing all sorts of things about flights being canceled, domestic flights being canceled or, you know, travel bans and stuff like that. So I just decided it was a Wednesday. I packed up all my stuff and I left on Saturday. So I flew back home to Los Angeles. And at the same time, the coordinate that I was speaking with actually told me that they wanted to shift up the donation date because the patient was in a dire situation and she needed it sooner. So So wait, so these labs, the first set of labs are just to figure out if you are in fact the match because yes. all they had from the beginning was a swab from your cheek sample, you know, from a couple of years ago. So now they're doing additional labs to see if you match that you did in New Orleans and, and you match and they realize that you are the right person to make this donation. And then they say, we need to accelerate the donation because the patient needs needs the donation right away. So actually, as far as I know, I actually think that they told me they needed to move it up prior to them actually getting the labs back. I think they just assumed it would work out, which it did. So yeah, I agreed. It was no problem. I flew home. They actually flew me home back to Los Angeles. And I was home. I found out that the labs were all clear and I was set to donate. I had to go to the hospital at which I, d- I did the donation at just to get a little, you know, in-person physical exam. And yeah, that was about it. Then everything was clear. And, and when you're going to the hospital for the exam and everything like that, at this point, it's full coronavirus outbreak and people are already staying at home. All the schools have been canceled. So it must have been a little scary to go to a hospital at such a time. Yeah, it was pretty scary just because, you know, given the current situation. So my mom came with me and we wore masks, we wore gloves, we didn't touch anything. I was I didn't even sit down in the waiting rooms. I was very very cautious given the fact that I was in a hospital. Also taking into consideration the, the fact that, you know, these people who are currently at the hospital are sick and I want to make sure not to you know, God forbid, get any of them sick. So we were taking a lot of precautionary measures at the hospital. Um, so we went, it was a Monday. They did the physical. The next day they called me back and they said, okay, you're all set. You have your donation date. And on Sunday, we're going to start giving you injections. A home nurse is going to come to your house every day for four days. And you're going to get these injections of this drug called Nupagen which essentially they explained to me um, ups your bone marrow and your white stem cell blood cell counts um, because the donation I was doing, fortunately, was not the surgical bone marrow donation. I did what was called a peripheral stem cell donation, which was um, essentially just like donating blood for a very long period of time. So the nurse came on that Sunday, started getting the shots, They told me that there could be some side effects, but likely I wouldn't actually experience any of them. Unfortunately, I did experience a lot of them. So I had a lot of lower back pain. Um, I actually got sort of sick one of the nights, which was a very scary experience just because, you know, during these times, you know, you can't go to the doctor, you can't go to the hospital. So I was freaking out because I didn't feel great. Obviously, it was because of the medication. I had talked to them, and they told me that everything I was experiencing was actually normal. 
So I went through all of the days of the shots and then... And that, but, but by the way, that's also in the midst, ordinarily that wouldn't be such a big thing, but in the midst of everything that we're all experiencing right now to have someone come into the home every day and give you this injection. And of course, the whole family is thinking, you know, I wonder what other patient she might have seen this week. Maybe she came into contact with someone, um, but you went ahead with it anyway, because you just, why did you, why did you go ahead with it anyway? Because it would have been very easy to say, you know, I don't know this person that I'm trying to help. I did a cheek swab two years ago when I was in high school. It's a, it's a pandemic for goodness sake. Like everyone would understand if I just said, I can't do it. But what made you decide, no, I'm going to do it. So I think initially, I just obviously initially when I was moving forward with the process, the pandemic wasn't as big of an issue, at least knowingly. Um, so I thought about it when I first got the email. And then I just thought to myself, you know, I should say yes, and just continue with the preliminary steps, because I could at least have said that I tried, you know, I could have gone even done the labs, and then they could have said, never mind, you're not the right match. But I just felt like that would be something that would have sat on my conscience forever, just the initial no, because I there was no reason why I couldn't do it. I'm 20, I'm healthy. I, I put myself on the registry. And I didn't know how much information they already told this patient, you know, they say that they tell them immediately, whenever they find a potential match. So I didn't want to be you know, the stopper to that, the, to this girl's potential at living. So you were really able to get outside of yourself and think about this other person. And you don't know this, you don't know anything really about this other person really. other than she's a she and her age. And that's it. Yeah. I, she's 24 will and you, has leukemia. Will you ever have a chance to connect with her and find out what happened? So I can send her letter, which I actually need to do, um, anonymously. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but I can text the woman that I was working with and she could help facilitate that, which I do want to do. And I already expressed interest in meeting her. There are due to HIPAA, I think, regulations. So I can't actually contact her, you know, as me for the first nine months. First, they have to make sure everything goes well. I know she already received the stem cells that I donated the next day actually after the donation but they didn't inform me of how the transfusion went and they won't but someday you might be able to actually make that connection yeah hopefully in a year i can meet her so now a couple of weeks have passed and you've heard from a lot of family and friends lots of support and lots of love and i think in in this time with everything else going on i know for a lot of people these kinds of stories are really inspiring and really helpful because you are reminded how compassionate people are capable of being and you're reminded how much love there really is in the world. What are some things over the last couple of weeks that surprised you or that maybe you learned about yourself that you didn't know? Um, so, I mean, I always considered myself a very selfless person, but I do think this could be considered one of the ultimate acts of selflessness because a lot of people who match their siblings, their cousins, they have some sort of familial connection, but I don't know who this person is at all. So I think that definitely stood out. Also, uh, it was kind of brave just considering the fact that I do consider myself to be a little bit of a hypochondriac, don't really like needles. Also, given the circumstances, no one was allowed to be with me during the actual donation, 
um, the hospital at which I did the donation is not accepting any visitors at all. So my and mom, even your mother couldn't yeah. talk her way in. And she she's, tried. she's good at that. She tried. So we, we walked in together to the facility and, you know, she was just standing by me and I said, I'm here to do a peripheral stem cell donation. And they were like, okay, whoever this is, she has to leave. And yeah, my mom tried, but they turned her away, which I was expecting. So it was okay. I was prepared for that. And it's like, it's like six hours, right? Yeah. So basically on the day of the donation, I got there they had me wait for a little while just while they got everything ready for me. Um, actually, while I was sitting in the waiting room, I'm, some guy just started talking to me. He was a little older, and he asked me what I was there for. I guess at this facility, people talk a lot. And I, I mentioned to him what I was doing, and he actually started tearing up. He himself was suffering of cancer and was at that same center to receive some sort of transfusion, which that was just impactful because I realized sort of how important this is what I was doing so they called me back um and they just took my vitals made sure I didn't have a fever that I wasn't experiencing any symptoms of anything everything was fine so they took me back and the two nurses who worked with me were so amazing they were so nice they understood that I was very nervous to be there by myself and everything they started everything pretty quickly they I had one giant needle in my right arm and that was where they were drawing from. And then the blood was being processed through this machine. I don't know what it's called, but it separated the blood, I guess, into its components. And then they were filling one bag with the stem cells and another bag with plasma. I didn't know they were doing that, but I didn't really care. I was already there. Um, and then in my left arm, I had a return. So I, w I didn't lose blood. I just lost stem cells and plasma. And they told me it was about 18 liters of blood that filtered through the machine and it took about six hours. So, wow. yeah. And you have a friend who shared a personal story with you about her own experience. Can you share a little bit about that? I mean, obviously we won't say her name and, and we'll respect that privacy, but I think it's important because it shows just how, just how important these moments are. And for everybody who's listening, if you ever have the opportunity, whether it's to donate blood or to donate platelets or to sign up for Be A Match. Um, I, I did a swab years and years ago and I've never matched. Um, but you know, I always wondered what would happen if, if they ever gave me the call. Um, but for anybody who's listening, really want to encourage you to consider this because it's a matter of pikuach nefesh. But tell us about your friend and how, how moved she was by what happened. So she was really helpful to me because she, she had cancer when we were in middle school and high school. And she was sort of a guiding force for me. I was able to ask her questions. Of course, at first, I was trying to be very sensitive. You know, I don't want to ask her to do anything she's or talk about something she's not comfortable speaking about. But she was really happy to help me. And I just... You know, we talked a lot. We were texting back and forth and FaceTiming. She she actually told me had, if there wasn't a pandemic going on that she wanted to be there with me. She, it was just um, really helpful to have her to help me guide me through the experience. Um, and had she received a donation herself? She did not. But one thing she did text me afterwards was just, you know, she was telling me how touched she was that I did this because it would have been so meaningful for her had she needed it to have a stranger save her life. And it was just very meaningful for me to have her sort of to reflect back on her going through that experience, having her tell me about it, and then having her 
guide me through this experience, obviously sort of on the other end. It makes it very personal. You also had a lot of conversations with your grandfather, um, who the, the one who's a retired surgeon. And I know along the way when we ever had questions about the process and you know every step along the way we consulted with him what what how did he react how was he supportive well poppy was very helpful um i called him immediately and you know he just responded with that's a great thing you're doing i'm really proud of you just keep me updated so you know as the process went along i called him you know every time i got an update because i wanted his both medical advice and you know he's my grandpa wanted him to know about it and you know, when they told me about the drug Nupogen that they were going to be giving me, I didn't know anything about it. So I called him and he told me he didn't know much about it, but he was going to call his friend and let me know. He called me back like 10 minutes later and told me all about it, told me a lot more about the process, which was nice just because he was giving me information from a, a friend who's a doctor prior to when, um, the be the match people were giving it to me so it was good because I I had sort of my own insight onto what was going to happen um but it was nice to have him to talk to about this process just because he understood it from a medical perspective and also it was nice because it gave me a new opportunity to talk to my grandfather a little bit more often so he says you think back on the last couple of months and you think about everything that you've been through, how do you think it will change you going forward? Do you think it will, I mean, are you a different person because of all of this, you think? Um, I don't know. I think that takes a little more time to determine. You can't measure something in the moment. Plus, we're still going through the whole pandemic, which is definitely part of this whole process that I went through as part of all of our lives. So I'm not sure yet. Issa, I want to thank you for your time today. I know you had a lot of other choices um, here during our self-quarantine. Yeah, I'm proud of you, not just as your father, but just as someone who knows you. And I hope that everyone will be inspired. Everyone listening, go to Be A Match, donate blood. You can go to UCLA, uh, Got Blood, and search up there ways that you can donate right now during this pandemic any way that we can support people, any way that we can help another person. It is a matter of pikuach nefesh. Thank you, Isa. Thank you, Haba, for having me. On the show or like having you in the world? Let's go with both. Well, that's the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to my special guest, Isa Zweibach. Thanks to everybody who makes the podcast possible. Our theme music is by maestro David Cates and myself, features a vocal by Josh Goldberg. Our editor is Raz Husseini, and our producer is Jeremy Goldstein. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes and share it with a friend. And during this challenging time, most importantly, everybody, stay safe out there, stay healthy, wash your hands frequently, don't touch your face. Thanks for tuning in.